0: Yay! You finally (laughs) found time to get into a classroom and do a big observation. You sit down, congratulating yourself for prioritizing, and the teacher and students dive into a lesson on quantum physics. Wait, (laughs) what? Of course, this is an exaggeration, but most of us have found ourselves tasked with observing a teacher whose content we did not fully understand. We dive into this topic today with our guest, Dr. Maddie Jurek. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve the life and leadership of assistant principals. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Maddie Jurek, the assistant principal at Gable Middle School in Spartanburg, District 6 in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Maddie's here with us to discuss observing teachers whose content we aren't fluent in. While this is an obvious challenge for high school and middle school administrators, elementary school leaders also find themselves in similar situations. Have you ever tried to observe a teacher working with students who have autism or maybe the choir teacher? All right. Hello, Maddie. We haven't talked for a long time, so I'm glad that you're able to come on the show.
1: So glad to be here. So glad to be here.
0: So tell us briefly how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, so um, I actually uh, spent most of my time in the classroom teaching high school chorus. Um, I taught 12 years in the classroom as a high school chorus teacher um, here in Spartanburg Six. Um, And then after my 12th year, I was working on my educational leadership degree um, at Clemson University. Both my undergraduate and my master's degrees are in music education, Um, and after I was Um, nominated as my district teacher of the year and through some involvement with our district teacher forum, realized that I really enjoyed working with educational leaders and growing educational leaders um, and worked on um, looking for a program to further develop that. And that's what led me to Clemson. Um, And I worked on my educational leadership degree there um, and completed that in 2020, December of 2020. Um, But let's see, the spring of 2019 had the opportunity to move into administration in my district and had completed enough of the program to allow me to do that um, and started as a middle school assistant principal um, in uh, the fall of 2019, um, right before the COVID impact. So um, that's, that was uh, where I was and I just finished my third year um, as an administrator at, at Gable Middle School
0: nice that you got that first norm, normal year under yes. before it all went sideways.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I got to start a year normal and then end a year normal eventually.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and full disclosure, I was on your doctoral committee, which was a joy and a privilege.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Definitely. Really enjoyed it. It was a great experience. I yeah. loved my time in Clemson.
0: And we loved having you. So <laughs> can you tell us a bit about your school?
1: Yeah. Um, so Gable Middle School um, is a student um, is a school of about 850 to 900 students. Um, we're a traditional sixth, seventh, and eighth grade school. Um, our school is situated in a more rural area, um, and I think people make a lot of assumptions that because we're in a rural area, we might only have one type of student. But we have a very diverse student population here at at Gable. Um, we're fed by three middle or three elementary schools that feed into our middle school. Then in turn, we feed to one high school. Um, We have a ninth grade campus and then we have one high school for our district. Um, Dorman High School is who we feed into. Um, That's roughly 3,200 students um, at that high school. Um, We also have a very large special education population here. Um, Our district chooses to host different programs at different schools. So we have two um, emotionally disabled classrooms three multi-cat classrooms, and we also have the deaf and hard of hearing program um, here for the district, actually for the county at um, our middle school here.
0: Okay, so some pretty unique programs Mm -hmm. and a fairly large school. How many assistant principals are there in the school? So this
1: is our first year with three assistant principals and it's been a game changer. Um, My first two years, we only had two, um, myself and then um, the other assistant principal who had been here for, who had been in education for 36 years. Um, so he recently retired. And when he retired, we got a second assistant principal. Um, so now we're able to divide for the most part by grade level, sixth, seventh and eighth grade.
0: OK. Uh, and at the risk of offending anybody, what's your favorite grade?
1: Eighth grade. <laughs> so I think that comes from the high school experience. Um, I, I spent a lot of time teaching ninth grade um, and eighth grade really is not that far off. So it's definitely a, a strong suit of mine um, with the eighth grade students.
0: That's the right answer. I love eighth graders.
1: I do, too. I do, too.
0: Especially when they don't live with me.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: We always like to start with the celebration. So what are you celebrating today?
1: Um, I really am celebrating the fact, well, last week I got to go to my first administrators conference. I got to go to SCASA last week. So I'm really flying high on that excitement about a new school year, you know, hopefully putting past um, the impact of um, day-to-day things with COVID. We know instructionally we've got a ways to go, but we are hoping that this school year um, will not have the impacts that we've had from the past two years. So um, I really am feeling pretty energized about the new school year.
0: Good, good. And you and you still have a few vacation days yes, to take, so exactly. you'll really be ready to go. Exactly. Okay. This podcast is built around the principles of strategic leadership, purpose over urgency, problems, not symptoms, progress above action, and people instead of tasks. And Maddie, this episode hits on that most important of the four principles, which is developing people. So we'll just dive in. Absolutely. So you've been in AP now for three years. Can you remember the first time you observed a, a math or other really challenging content content lesson?
1: Absolutely. So let me let me back up just a little bit with that. So like I said, I was hired in the spring of 2019. And after being hired, I had the opportunity just to come over and shadow for a day um, while I was still in the classroom before the new school year started. Um, so I'm walking around, meeting all the new teachers. You know, it's just been announced I have the new position. Um while we are a large district, we're a small district, like lots of people know one another. I've been here my whole career. Um, So a lot of people were familiar with who I was, even if they didn't have a personal relationship with me. Um, So I'm walking around meeting people and trying to develop that relationship. And um, one of the teachers I meet is one of our math teachers. And I said, oh, math, that's great. You know, I'm so excited to get to work with you. I said, I could actually use some tutoring. I'm in a quantitative stats class right now at Clemson that is kicking my tail, you know, and just trying to make conversation. And her response was, well, I wouldn't expect you to know much of anything about math as a chorus teacher. And I took that immediately as her wall that she was putting up. What can you offer me in this role? Um, So, you know, that kind of set the stage to how I was walking into and some, you know, intentionalities that I knew I was going to have to pursue. Um, And I will say the hardest part for me whenever I went in to observe those lessons truly was putting the key in the door and turning the knob um, to walk into the room. After I walked into the room, I realized I don't have to focus on content here that I might not remember and understand. I'm here to focus on instruction. And there's a difference between instruction and content. Um, Good teaching is good teaching no matter the content of the classroom. So I, you know, just immediately started to ask myself, are students in this classroom using critical thinking skills? Are they engaged in the lesson? How is the teacher's wait time? Is she calling on students to answer or just the eager few who keep raising their hand? Um, What's the classroom environment like? Are the students grouped in different ways? Um, So through focusing on instruction, um, I found I knew the questions to ask and what to look for in the classroom.
0: I, I love that. And I think I just there's there are so many things about teaching that are good teaching and teaching itself is so complex. Mm -hmm. I think we could we could exhaust several years of working with a teacher and hitting just the foundational aspects of teaching because it's so complex before we ever, ever went to the, um, you know, the content side of it. Absolutely. So. As you've worked with teachers then out outside in those other areas, how, when, like talk about post-conferencing with them and how you, how you frame things and, and how they receive that.
1: So I really focus on post-conferences in a conversational format. Um, I'm always quick to admit to the teacher that I'm here to learn alongside of them um, and want to be able to learn alongside of them. Um, and I think it comes through that relational piece and just building that relationship And doing it over and over, the expectation that they know I'm going to be there, it's not an isolated event that just happens when it's time for a formative, I'm sorry, a summative assessment. Um, It is something that's just part of what we do together and the team that we're on together. Um, And then that carries over into things like parent-teacher conferences. When there are difficult times, I can go in there with assurance and say, I have been in this classroom, this is what I have seen, you know, and, and... help support the teacher in that way too. So I'm able to pull those pieces into, into those events as well.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's really critical. And, and the other thing we need to keep in mind when there is that unique content piece, if, a, if a teacher is really trying to figure out some content, how, how do I teach some kind of advanced math function or science thing, or, or, um, again, going back, working with students with autism, there's some really high, um, complicated ways that we can support those students. Um, have you found yourself trying to support those and, and connect teachers with other mentors or other sources, resources? Yeah,
1: so um, I, I, I feel like I have a solid mentor veteran teacher in every content area, either within my school or within my district that I'm able to connect teachers to. Like you said, um, especially within like the special education piece, a lot of times some of the requirements of those jobs With the legality of it and the IEP meetings and coordinating deadlines and making sure that we are doing everything we are supposed to, the teachers need additional support that is specific and direct to what they're doing. I know I was a chorus teacher. I wanted my own specific direct feedback that applied to me. Um, So I think it's our job as administrators to help connect teachers to those resources and to those supports. Um, But again, the way we do that is through building the relationship with the teacher ourselves. And then, after the teacher has that, that support, I follow up with them and, you know, well, what was helpful? What can I learn from that experience you had? You know, how can that help improve my skill set so I can, I can help in future
0: situations? Um, yeah. So
1: I think that, that that piece really helps as well.
0: When, and I think it's, we have to know going in that we don't have to know everything, right? And, and if, if we tried to pretend that we did, that would be pretty unauthentic and the teacher would obviously know. So I think it's it's important to be in some ways be vulnerable and be able to say, Yeah, this the, the actual content that's not my forte. And if you need help with that, if there's something we want to talk about there, let's make sure that we're connecting you with the right people because I think that absolutely. reinforces what you said earlier, that you're there to support. And absolutely. I think- That's one of the switches that I really advocate that we flip as administrators is understanding our role is to grow, get great teachers. That's Mm -hmm. how we improve our schools. That's how we support our kids. And to do that, we have to be supporting those teachers each step of the way. Um, So growth isn't an option, but we're here to support that growth, Mm -hmm. which I guess then let me ask, uh, to what extent do you, encourage or allow teachers to choose their own focus goals if they if there's an area that they want to grow in in the year do they have a fair amount of flexibility in saying hey maddie this is what i'd like to focus the observation on this is this is the you know the thing that i'm trying to get better at
1: yeah so i mean we definitely have some school-wide focuses that we're working with teachers on as a whole that um, I always include any, um, you know, what should I be looking for when I go into the classroom today? What, what, you know, what are some concern areas that you have? Now, um, obviously, every single observation can't be around that, but I always try to give teachers that opportunity, especially my new teachers. Um, you know, what is something you think you're doing really well you want me to watch for when I come in today? All right, now what's an area that you might be a little bit concerned or confused about that I can watch for and then help Clarify for you. Um, And I think providing support to those new teachers in that way just really helps um, give them that ownership over it and not feel like it's just in reporting to me, but they are in control of what's going on.
0: I think it's so critical, especially right off the bat, early in the year, for us to ask, What would you like me to be looking for? What would you like me to be looking at? And then I can gather that data and then I can say, Here's what I saw. And, and ideally I'm sharing that data with them and they own that data, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if it's not any kind of a summative or anything like that, they can own that data. I don't even have to tell them what I think, let them process. And I help them process through the observation data and come to their own conclusions, which again, just puts me in that seat of, Hey, I'm supporting you. I'm supporting you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. So I guess fast forward to today. Um, Are your feelings pretty different now when you you, you probably have more confidence going into the classrooms? Um, Just tell me how it is when you put that key in the door.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So now I I definitely have a lot higher of a confidence level. Um, The teachers, you know, that have been here, have known me now for years and know the expectation that they're going to see me in the classroom They know that when I leave the classroom, there's going to be a follow-up piece to it. It's not something that just happens that they never hear anything from again. Um, They know it's going to be a conversation moving forward. Um, And I think those relationships really have helped. I will also say another piece that has given me confidence in myself as an administrator, the two new assistant principals we hired were first-year administrators. Um, So even in my second or third year, I had the opportunity to kind of offer some mentorship and support to them. As they're developing um, and set that expectation for them as to a framework for their grade levels, you know, how I suggest they're getting into the classroom with their grade levels and the relationship they're building with their teachers. Um, Previously, when we had the just two administrators, we split it sixth and then seventh and eighth were together. So you kind of get a little bit more freedom by only focusing on one grade level um, and I also do a good bit with our self-contained programs, just from experience um, there. And um, so it just freed me up to have a little bit more ability to really build those relationships and get into those rooms a little bit more.
0: Okay. And what you you're talking about different ways of getting in the classroom. So I know just from listening, you're not just going in and oh, we're summative and then we're done. So talk about some yes. of the different the different formats that you have, the different reasons that you go in? Are you using different instruments? What is what are those variations look like?
1: So, you know, I feel like I had to take intentional steps to increase my confidence in getting into the classroom. So whenever I started at the very beginning, um, I had a very good working relationship with our district director of ELA. Um, and I reached out to her and I said, Dawn, I really want to grow as an instructional leader. You know, I was thinking back to that beginning conversation. Can you help me through this process? Help me know, you know, where where I can go and, and give me baby steps to grow. So that first year, we really focused on looking at data um, and strengthening our tier one instruction. Um, we started using iReady um, the year of COVID um, as our um testing program for the school. It was replacing using um, MAP previously. So we went to iReady. And originally it was gonna be that first year that we really, that was our goal for the years to focus on data-driven instruction and tier one instruction. Well, thanks to COVID, um, that goal strengthened, or uh, sorry, stretched into the second year. So I really focused on that for the first two years and providing professional development for the teachers to strengthen our tier one instruction. Um, But I spent a lot of time asking asking questions Um, and, you know, just listening to the feedback of the teachers and kind of more of an an observational mode Um, with that while the director of ELA really ran the PD. Um, Then what I did is I took that model that we had established and provided the same opportunities to the math teachers. But this time I had already been through it once. So I was kind of duplicating it, which, which gave me a little bit of confidence. Um, Now, where we really got more into the classrooms was this year, um, focusing. So we took our tier one focus and with MTSS, we're going into more of a tier two focus this year, but tier two instruction occurring in the classroom um, provided by the classroom teacher. So I partnered with that same um, ELA director and then our instructional coach to provide PD opportunities for our ELA teachers here at the school. Um, so we're focusing our goals were to focus our tier two instruction on the class in the classroom paired with a formative assessment for tier two and then scaffolding it to a tier one instruction that had a summative assessment okay so with that i was providing an opportunity for our teachers Um, so that was the first big step that i took so the second thing that i did is i provided time for teachers So um, after the opportunity, I had to give them time. They were so stretched thin this year. Um, So I arranged for subs even in the COVID sickness crazy so that our teachers could have a planning period plus an instructional period to extend the time that they're learning about this professional development during the school day to try and minimize those after school meetings. Um, So the second big step I took is providing that time. The third that I did is I set aside and blocked out my calendar that I would be supportive and attend all of those meetings. The entirety of all of those meetings. I was not available for calls. I was not available on the radio. I was engaged in those meetings to provide that support. Now, the big next step that I took that was different than the previous two years um, is I asked the teachers to sign up on, I had a Calendly that I did with them. And they chose a time for me to come into the classroom and observe tier two when they were going to do tier two instruction in their classroom. So that was providing that accountability piece um, of after the PD, they knew I was going to come in at their chosen time to observe tier two instructional strategies going on in the classroom. Then after I left the classroom that day, within an hour of leaving their classroom, I provided feedback. Um, I gave them specific written feedback about the observation and the lesson plan in connection with the professional development that we had provided as a school. Um, Now my first grade level to complete the entire process with my observations and everything was my eighth grade team um, of ELA teachers. Um, So I created a Google site um, to celebrate their success and had taken pictures in the classroom of them delivering tier two instruction, shared their lesson plans, and I shared that with our district-wide, our chief instructional officer and our di- director of ELA to provide that praise um, to those teachers for the specific things that they had done in their classrooms. Um, and then after I completed that cycle with ELA, I did the entire cycle again with our math teams for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Um, so that was those were the big things that I feel like I did specifically um, this past year to really focus on that instructional leadership. Um, and it really worked really well. Um, I was really excited about it.
0: Okay, good. <clears throat> so I want
1: to, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, this is great.
0: No, excellent. I want to dissect this a little bit. So if, yeah, absolutely. If, if people have been listening to the podcast in some kind of order, they know we've done a couple recent episodes on the flywheel and the flywheel for education is we do professional development. We follow up with targeted observations and collect data relevant to the professional development. We look at that data and then use that to make decisions about the next round of professional development, which is exactly what you're describing.
1: That's great, awesome.
0: Yes, super awesome. Um, And and I love it because I think if you haven't seen this in operation, then as an assistant principal, if it's easy to think, well, nobody can do that. We're too busy all the time. We'll, we, can never, we can never do that cycle. Um, but this is another way to do it. And it's going to look different, a little bit different in every school based on your teachers and your students and the skills of your assistant principals. I, I love that you're creating the time. So we're asking you to do something that's important. And how do we know it's important? Because we're investing resources in creating time for you. Like, mm-hmm. What a great, what a great message to send. I also like that you're focusing on one group at a time. So to to do a flywheel in the entire building can be overwhelming, unless you're in a you know a small school with twenty teachers, um, something very compact. But you don't have to do everybody all the time, right? And I'm I'm encouraging people and some of the work we're doing with Apex this year, encouraging assistant principals really attend to those early career teachers, right? And support them and make sure you're following up with targeted observations and then continuing support based on that, especially early in the fall. And then maybe we move to other groups of teachers if we can. So I like the example because we don't have to do a flywheel for everybody. We can choose a grade level or we can choose a subject area. Um, So yeah, that's great example. I really appreciate that. Uh, Let's talk about following up. I guess, let's talk about types of observations. Um, And I don't think I've done a podcast episode on this. I've mentioned it in different places, but there's one of the challenges we have with classroom observation is that it means so much. It's like saying, Oh, what grade did I get in a class? Well, what was that grade based on? We don't even know, right? right. And when I say I'm doing a classroom observation, okay, is that summative? Is it formative? What, what is that? We don't we don't have the language to describe that very well. And and so I try to encourage people to use the terms evaluative, which you labeled as summative, which is great. Um, formative <clears throat> and for me in in my language a formative observation is part of a coaching cycle it's an observation that specifically follows up on professional development and probably professional development with an individual because we have another type of observation that follows up on group professional development and that's a normative observation so that's when i'm when i'm observing more than one teacher several teachers and we're using the same focus instrument and we're going to take that data and we're not probably not going to break it out by teacher we're going to break it out as a group, so we'll look at that data as as um, representing the group, not individual teachers. And then the teachers own that, and that's what and that drives that that group professional development. And then there's the fourth kind of observation, which is what I, I call performative, right? Because they are performing for us. We're just mm-hmm. trying to learn. And you talked a lot about being in classrooms just to learn to know what's going on to test your own skills and think about stuff and you weren't there to support the teacher you were there for your own growth and your own knowledge so i think having these having the language is really helpful and and i i appreciate that you said you'll always follow up if you're in the classroom they know they're going to get something for you Uh, i'll push back on that a little bit and you're free to disagree and everybody out there that's been taught always, always provide feedback. You guys can disagree with me. Um, you know, the world's not going to end. I I do think that we have to be careful and in performative observations, I would encourage us to not provide feedback for several reasons. Number one, performative is for our benefit. So we don't have to give them feedback. Feedback is for their benefit, but Mm -hmm. a performative observation by definition is for our benefit. Number two, it makes it easier to know if I if I want to hit a bunch of classrooms and I just want to be in for three to five minutes. I don't. I know I don't have to then carve out the time to give a bunch of feedback.
1: Right.
0: It also can wean teachers. Teachers can be feedback junkies, <laughs> right? Just like students want stickers on their on their um, <clears throat> on their papers when you hand them back. I remember. Okay, where's going in in the morning? Because I knew my principal had been in the day before. Where's my sticky note? Is it going to be there on the door? And it's fun to get those, but if we always expect that sticky note, I think that can subtly be a little bit problematic because what we're conditioning people to do is to um, kind of hinge on our on our approval. So those are just a couple reasons why for performative observations. I'm not a huge fan of, of providing feedback, but again, I mean, it's probably, it's not a huge thing and people are free to disagree. Um, so, but I think on those other places, it really is important. And, and I, I just applaud you so much for delivering professional development and then following up and, and providing the data to support teachers because the, the, the most common practice I see is that we do professional development and then we don't follow up specifically on that PD. We may include it as part of a, lot, lot, a larger observation, but we don't communicate that message of, hey, this is, we, this is valuable. We took time to do this in school, so um, <clears throat> we're going to follow up and we're going to support you in the implementation
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I really feel like that follow up piece was key um, to showing the importance of, of using that tier two instruction, it really helped drive that point home that this is so important that I'm not going to say you have to do this next Tuesday, I'm going to say, I trust you as the professional to plan the lesson, what is the most effective use in your next unit of study of using tier two instruction in your classroom, I will come to you then. You know, so by giving them, again, that freedom and that choice as to when the accountability happened, it made it even more important. If it were just a checkbox, I'd say, we'll do it Monday, play, you know, Um, (laughs) but instead of making them just press play, they had to intentionally plan it within. And I think I honestly I think I gave them three weeks post the PD for us to meet together to do it. I think it was a three week window of time um, that we had. To stretch that out, um, so I had some that wanted to do it within the first week; they were ready to go. I had some that it took a little bit more time for them to think about how thoughtfully to to utilize it within, you know, the unit they were working on. Um, so I, I think that really helped.
0: Yeah, well, and I I love using Calendly, and and as you know, I use Calendly to schedule a podcast interviews. If somebody agrees, yes. I just send out the link, and you schedule it in the time that works for you, which I think shows show some respect and mm-hmm. to do that with teachers and say, I'm going to come when you need me to come. Um,
1: and it was I, funny. I a note on that. I had a teacher who was not familiar with Calendly, but she signed up for a time and it, I knew it was during her planning period. And I said, okay. well, miss so-and-so I said, do we just need to have a conversation further about that? No, no, that's, that's when I want to meet with you because I only have planning second and sixth. I said, no, this is, this is for me to do an observation. <gasps> oh, you know, so you're going to come watch. Yes, I'm going to come watch, you know. Um, so it was it was just a very funny experience just to have that conversation because I thought, I wonder why she signed up during her planning. She yeah. thought it was just a post conference essentially from the PD as opposed to me coming in and watching.
0: Yeah. So. And for those who don't know Calendly, you can create different kinds of events that people can sign up for and you just send them a link and then they get it, which... If you're just dealing with one person, it beats doodle polls and 20 emails going back and forth. It is such a time saver for, I think, for everybody. So what steps have you taken to get better at the craft, the craft of observing, the craft of collecting data, the craft of then using that data in conversations to help teachers grow?
1: Well, I really think that... um, As I have just grown as an assistant principal, one of the biggest things that I think are just one of the most important attributes for an educational leader, um, and this kind of, this, I don't know, it just really hits home, is just this attitude of just being self-aware. Like, I have got to be self-aware of how I am perceived, you know, by my teachers, by my students, where they think my strengths and weaknesses are, because at the end of the day, if they see me as weak in an area, I have to change that perception. So how am I being intentional about changing that perception? Is it through conversation with the teacher? Is it about doing some specific research that might apply to that teacher? Um, I ask lots of questions. I read books. I'm a big listener of podcasts as a whole. Um, And, you know, sometimes they come in ways that we wouldn't expect, like there might be an episode of another podcast that I'm listening to, and I'm like, oh, that's not really something, but there will be a a nugget of something that is applicable um, to what I am after. Um, So those are just all ways that have kind of helped grow my confidence. Also asking questions of um, administrators outside my building. Um, What are things that you're doing? Because so often we get tunnel vision to what's going on right here in my school. Um, that I might not be seeing what they're doing at another school um, that may be something effective that I could do as an administrator in my building.
0: Building and and I would say district too. Yes. Every district is managed and run so differently. And and to hear people from buildings that are different than yours, from districts that are very different from yours, to hear the perspectives that they bring can be really valuable, not because you need to change yours, but you may understand why you do what you do a little bit better.
1: Well, and I mean, along that same line too, you know, so many of the other districts we have, you know, at my school, um, we have a person who's here to provide designated reading support, but we do not have what would be, and we call her an instructional coach, but she's really just here for reading and ELA support. So other districts have a full-time instructional coach, you know, whereas I'm kind of having to take on that role at the school because we don't have that here. We're, we're, a, we're a smaller district that doesn't have that at the secondary level at all, to be honest, I'm a designated instructional coach. So it's having conversations with not just administrators, but a person who is deemed as an instructional coach at the school um, and the school level, um, just really helpful resources that they've shared with me in books and things like that.
0: Excellent. So Kim, can you share one of those situations maybe where, um, you realized that the perception, whether it was accurate or not, was that you, you had a certain weakness, um, and then just your process of adjusting that perception.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely can. Um, and it was an area that I did have weakness. So when I started, um, I, you know, one of the big roles for an administrator um, at a school with a special ed population is to serve as that LEA role in a lot of meetings um, with parents where you're going over data and there's a lot of people at the table and there's big conversations that have to be had. Um, And I remember feeling very weak in those meetings. There was a lot of terms that I was not as familiar with, wasn't as competent with, but ultimately, you know, weighing heavy on me is the decision making authority for my school building Um, So I spent a lot of time after those meetings asking questions at first. Um, And then what I realized is I need to ask these questions before we go into the meetings. You know, like what kind of, you know, not that any decisions were made ever before a meeting, but before we'd have the meeting, I'd go to the case manager and say, okay, what are we going to be talking about today? What are areas of concern? Just to try and get ahead of that. Now, my third year in, there are a few meetings that are the the big heavy ones, you know, that I don't have to, you know, I need to have that information. But most of those meetings now, I just go in. We've been aware of the situation the whole time. Um, A lot of these kids have been with us three years at this point. I know know the family. We're ready to go. Um, But I think I had to step back for a second and think, okay, I have got to be more proactive before we get into these meetings where I feel like. I don't know what's going on. And there's a whole bunch of people having a very important conversation that I don't feel like I can contribute to. Um, And by asking those questions ahead of time and meeting with the case manager, I just felt a little bit more prepared to go into the meeting to know what to expect. Um, So that's definitely an area that was a big weakness that I have really grown in my confidence in, in unexpected ways. That, That was not one that I, you know, necessarily anticipated coming into the assistant principal role.
0: And and you're talking emotional disability units and um what was the other um we
1: have multi-cat as our other so we have three classes of multi-cat. So as a school, we have about 50 kids who would fall into that category. So um between those two programs. Now um you know from there too you have to go into manifestation determinations and you know consult meetings and the SAT process and I mean, there's just so many layers to it, Um, and you know, if it were your own child, you would want everybody to be (laughs) well-prepared, you know, in the situation, so you're trying to give it your all, Um, so that definitely was just a new experience to me that, as a chorus teacher, I really did not participate in um, when I was a classroom teacher.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I think that's a great tip, especially those first couple years, is for assistant principals to get just get a briefing beforehand so you have some idea of like you said the, the topics that that are going in I would say the other thing is to make sure that you have something really positive to say about the kid mm-hmm. because and and hopefully your teachers start meetings that way too um, right. if they don't then you need to work with them um, and and you need to model that as well so when you go in and you're greeting everybody to be able to lead with something that's a strength of the student or something you observe the student do that was excellent. Just, I think it sets a little bit different tone. And as the, as the administrator, it shows that you're invested and that you Mm -hmm. care Um, because we might be able to assume that there are many parents who have had fairly negative interactions with administrators and IEP meetings. Um, Mm -hmm. And, You know, not we don't need to throw anybody under the bus because there are times as an administrator, you're running, 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 and then you've got to pop in for this IEP and maybe you had 20 of them. And it's hard to be dialed in and positive and know every situation. Um, But there are some schools where parents have had many of those where it seemed like the, the district rep or the building rep was kind of apathetic and just there to sign the paperwork. And parents remember that. So as an assistant principal, when you can start with that affirmation and really greet people and be glad that they're there, uh, I, I it just makes everything go smoother.
1: I agree. And, you know, too, I often have to remind the teachers because students transfer into our ED program from other schools in the district. And then, you know, students transfer in as they're rising sixth graders and things like that. And, and we can't, we can't make excuses for their past experiences, but we can do our best with what we have now. And that's, and that's what we just tell them. I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you in the past, but we're here to make this the best experience possible. Um, this is my name, my contact number, please contact me if there's anything you wanna discuss. And then, you know, just like with your teachers, it is then our responsibility to follow up when they do have those questions and concerns.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, can we talk about imposter syndrome?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> all right. Tell me your worst bout of imposter syndrome.
1: Well, you know, I think that there are so many expectations on us. Um, people just expect that we know all. Um, and I, I just am really, I, I think it does come back to that self awareness piece that I brought up before. I really am not afraid to say, I don't know when I don't know to a teacher um, if, if we're having a conversation. I'll say, you know, I think that's a great idea that you brought up, but I need to think about that some more. Um, I'm not ready to make a decision on that point right now. I also do that when I'm disciplining kids. If it's one of those gray areas that's not outlined in our handbook, don't be quick to make a decision on something if there's doubt creeping in your mind, you know, hold just five minutes, put put them in a, a holding area, put it in the think tank for a minute talk to someone else about the conversation, you know, about what's going on, the situation. Um, Something we do here really well as an admin team is any big decision, we all meet about it and kind of share our thoughts about it, discuss it as a team. Um, How have we handled it in the past? What other things do we need to consider, other factors? Um, And have a really thoughtful process instead of just being so quick to make a decision on something. Um, But again, like I said, I I do think it goes back to self-awareness, asking questions, being comfortable saying, "Mm, I don't really know a whole lot about that, you know, but I can, I can certainly look into it and get back to you. Um, And and I think that, I think people appreciate that when you're willing to admit to not knowing everything, um, even if it is tough to do at times.
0: (laughs) When I think they, they would rather know that you didn't know, than you try to make something up and it doesn't help the situation.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. You're going to get more credibility if you say, well, I don't know then, oh yeah, try this and then it doesn't work.
1: Right. And I go back to, I remember one of my grad school classes talked about, I guess it's like the, I can't, it's at the tip of my tongue, but it's levels of Admitting, I you know, there's I know I don't know, and then there's the things I don't know that I don't know, you know, and the differences between those things. Um, every once in a while, you'll stumble upon that. Wow, I've never even that has never crossed my mind. Then there's other things that I just know I don't know. <laughs> um, so I think just kind of distinguishing between those two.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate you emphasizing that we can delay. I, I do think when we're on that treadmill of urgency. We just feel like we need to get everything done. And yes. even most disciplined situations are not absolutely critical. I need to make the call right now. I mean, certainly right. if there's a big safety issue, right. we've absolutely. got to be on that. But, but 90% of the things, it, it's okay to wait a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to do as a leader, but it can also be the wisest. Right. If if you're waiting for the right reasons.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, you can, especially when it's a conversation with a teacher, um, just you did make me think of when you were saying that I have told teachers, you know, I'm not really in the headspace to think about that right at this minute. But that is really important to me. Can we come back and talk about it tomorrow? And I'm more than happy to. But just right now is just not the best time. But I, I really want to have that conversation with you. And I think if you say that in person, for one, I would not say that over an email because of tone. Um, It really shows that what they want to discuss is important to you. Um, And it's so important that I'm not going to be flippant with it now. I'd rather have a dedicated time and conversation point with it.
0: I I appreciate that. Um, I advocate a lot for being fully present for for people, and sometimes I'm guilty of not getting around to discussing what do you do when you can't be fully present, and right. and you just labeled it out. And I love that in there, what you said is, this is really important to me, which mm-hmm. is why I'm not going to do it right now because I can't give you my best, and you deserve my best. Right, and right. and that's one of the great ways if you don't have time or you're not in the headspace to be present with somebody you tell them that you deserve my best. I can't give you my best right now. That is way better than keeping your hands on the keyboard and looking over your shoulder and saying, what do you, what do you need? And then, and then not really listening. Cause you're still trying to write your respond to your email message. Oh, that's the worst.
1: It is. It is. You're right. A hundred percent.
0: Okay. So let's let's just recap a couple um, strategies for APs out there. You, we've covered a lot of ground. Let's bring it back to this idea of supporting teachers through those observations. I think we've already kind of blown through the idea that I can't observe people if I don't understand their subject area, right? Teaching's teaching. Right. But how do we do a really good job observing and then following up um, observing, collecting the data, and then following up on that. What are kind of three things you would tell APs to really make sure they have squared away?
1: Well, I would make sure that they go in with the confidence that they have something to offer. Um, you were ha- you hired for a reason. Um, I-, I don't, at least in our area, there are not any shortage of applicants for assistant principal jobs. Um, there are lots of people wanting to get into administration for very few jobs. So I think you have to give yourself the confidence that, you know, you're here for a reason. You have something to offer. Um, the second is I, I always encourage AP, our new APs here, just to ask questions of their teachers and establish more of a conversational rapport as opposed to I saw this, I saw this, I saw this, I didn't see this. Um, you know, it, it just it helps establish that relationship. Um by asking questions and making it more conversational based, and then, you know, there are times that we have to be summative in what we are stating and use a rubric and use the entire formal evaluation tool, but the rest of it should be about developing practice, supporting teachers, supporting kids, um, and building that relationship. It it is, as a side note to that, it is just so great to get to see the kids, I mean, that is why I love education and why I love being an administrator is I get to see even more kids than I got to see in my classroom and get to see them in different settings and you know that's a whole nother side conversation but the kids it's just great Um, and then just really the third bottom line that you have to take the plunge you just have to let yourself be uncomfortable if you are um, walking into a classroom that you you know like the deaf hard of hearing classroom at my school I mean Goodness, I don't know what's going on a lot of the time, you know, but I see a lot of really highly organized structure going on in the classroom. It's uncomfortable, um, but I stretch myself. I still go and then, you know, walk away with something new every time that I, I'll, I'll add to my skill set for the future. Um, so th- those are the big things I would say.
0: And I appreciate that. You, you just took it full circle for me to um, I'm, I'm going back to imposter syndrome. The thing I wanted to add to that conversation was something that I heard from Seth Godin, which is if you don't feel imposter syndrome, it means you're not pushing your edge. No. <laughs> so when you feel that, like, oh, I don't know if I should really be, that means you're pushing your edge and you're trying mm-hmm. to grow and get better. So if you never feel that, you're stuck. You're
1: too comfortable. Yes. Too yeah. comfortable.
0: Yeah. And and I love that because I feel it a lot and but it flipped it for me. Cause now mm-hmm. if I feel imposter syndrome, I think, oh, okay, that means that means I'm doing what I should do. I'm 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 pushing my edge and I'm trying to get better. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. As we wrap up, I have three questions for you.
1: Okay.
0: The first is what part of your own leadership are you trying to get better at?
1: Right now I'm trying to get better at. Um delegating, if I'm being totally honest. So my first, like I said, my first two years, there were only two of us. I was the go-to person um, and really embraced that. And I'm a I'm an Enneagram three. So I really love to do and be seen as I do, and I love to check lists. But through delegating, I have realized that I can grow people. Um, So I'm trying to be more specific as to which AP I ask to help with a certain task. You know, um, how can that help grow his potential and his future steps? Um, It's not delegating. I used to think is pushing off on people and it's not that. So that's definitely something that I'm trying to be more intentional about.
0: That's beautiful. If listeners could take away just one thing, just one from today's podcast, what would it be?
1: (laughs) I'd say put the key in the door and step in the classroom. Um, because so many times there are so many things that will prevent us from doing that if we allow it but if i write on my planner from 9 to 9 30 i'm going to miss dill's classroom everything else needs to revolve around going to miss dill's classroom from 9 to 9 30 we have to set that time aside
0: that will be the title of this episode just put the key <laughs> put the in the key. door
1: <laughs> it's the <I'm>, hardest part <laughs>
0: i'm serious. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners?
1: No, I, like I said, I just, I, d- I did not know that I could love administration like I did. I went into it thinking, okay, yeah, this will be great. And, you know, I, I found, I found the place that I belong in school. Um, and it just has really been such a wonderful experience for me. Despite COVID and all the crazy, um, I wake up ready to come to work each day, excited, energized, You know, just ready for each day. Um, And, you know, I think if we're intentional and we continue to push ourselves forward, um, it is what we make it, you know, and and I, I have really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Always love leaving on the inspiring message. And it's interesting that the assistant principals who are most engaged in instruction that come on this show are consistently the ones that say, this is a great profession.
1: It is a great profession.
0: And the people I talk to that can't get into classrooms, that can't help develop teachers, they can be pretty miserable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So to everybody listening out there, if you want to have a better year and this profession is not doing for you what you want it to. Find ways to help teachers grow.
1: Absolutely. no, Absolutely. And I, I mean, I would add to that, too, you know, when you're having that hard moment in administration. Um, you know, a situation, an angry parent, I I go down to the band room, I go into an English classroom and do that, just walk through. And it is a reminder of why we do what we do every day, to see those kids engaged, to see them passionate, to see them excited, to see those teachers, you know, um, it's just, it really is why we're here. So I I think that as long as we keep that at the forefront, then we we have a lot
0: to look forward to. Maddie, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming on today.
1: I've enjoyed it tremendously. Thank you.
0: Good. All right. So if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. I'm always trying to improve the show. So if you have feedback, please email me at frederick at Frederickbusky.com. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Busky, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast.